Good morning, church. Hope you're doing great this morning. Uh, what a beautiful day. Um, and so we're going to jump into a brand new series uh, through the book of Exodus. What an incredible journey that God brought the country of Is- the Israelites through and uh, some great things that he did that we're going to be able to see. But I want to take you back to uh, give you a picture. I want to take you back to Matt Rice in seventh grade, the new kid at Timothy Edwards Middle School. So I'm the new kid, moved from upstate New York to South Windsor, Connecticut, and I'm at Timothy Edwards Middle School. Little little thing that you need to know, the great reformer preacher named Jonathan Edwards, this this school, my middle school, was named after him because Jonathan Edwards was born in South Windsor, uh, Connecticut. That's just a little tidbit of information for you there, you church historians. So here we are. It's the seventh grade. I'm the new kid in school. I'm, I'm the new one. And so we're playing kickball and we're in the gym. Well, when you're the new kid in school, you don't get picked first. And so I got picked last. And then it came time for me to come up with the bases loaded and down by three. And in the gymnasium, like most gymnasiums, they are built with cinder blocks. And in my school, Timothy Edwards Middle School, you had this nice color of Celtic green all the way up to the last cinder block. And then it was forest green, like a darker green. And here was the rule. If you could hit the last cinder block, that was an automatic home run. You could hit it off the wall, that would be a double, a single, or whatever the case is. Think of Fenway Park, you baseball fans. Well, it, t- it came time for me to get up. Bases are loaded. And of course, everybody wanted Jamie Lucier or Joe Alicki to get up and, and, and kick because they were the stars of the soccer team. But it was Matt Rice. The pitch was made. It was clean. It wasn't bouncing. The contact was unbelievable. The ball was sent to left center and it rose and it kept rising and it hit the top cinder block for a grand slam home run because they underestimated the power of Matt Rice. And I got to be honest with you, I showed him that day. Showed him the power of Matt Rice. Now, let me just give you an example of, of this story right now. If Ryan Simchenko was up here, he would talk to you about playing basketball for the University of North Carolina on the JV team. However, I'm up here, and I'm talking about kickball in the seventh grade. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed. And so here it was. The base is cleared. I hit the ball. They underestimated the power of Matt Rice, but here is a great tragedy that I think that we are faced with today. And that great tragedy is, is that we are underestimating the power and the greatness of God. What I sense from conversations that I'm having and just where we are as a culture in the church, outside the church, is an understanding of the great God of creation that in Genesis chapter one, it says, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so. And then last week, like every week and every day, we celebrate 
that the tomb is empty because God raised Jesus from the dead. And so what, what I have really taken a look and really what I have just been praying for is I, I, I feel like that there is a shallow view of God in the culture today. And sometimes that can creep into the church. And it's incredibly dangerous to you and to me to have a shallow, small view of God. Really what we want to do is a, sm a small view of ourselves and a big view of God. And I think what's taking place, really and honestly, through my prayers, through my conversations, is that really there is a big view of self and a small view of God. And so maybe that happens, or maybe you find yourself, because maybe you find yourself there because you prayed for something and it didn't happen. And I get that. Maybe you, you're, you're there because you see suffering in the world and it just doesn't make sense. Maybe you're there because you're just a, a lack of love for people, especially among believers in the church. And, and maybe you're there, maybe this view of God that if we're not careful trickles into us in the church, maybe it's there because really just an overwhelming love of self. But, but, but what we have to figure out right now is we have to figure out why is that happening and what are we going to do about it? Well, I came across an article written by a Cedarville University senior at the time. She wrote this article in, two, in 2019. And I came across the article because here she was trying to define her culture as a follower of Jesus Christ, where she was, what she could see. And here's, the, here's some excerpts from the article that I want to read to you. This is Tessa Landrum, a Cedarville University graduate, now alumni, who wrote this in 2019. Here's what she said. Our society is in the midst of a massive cultural shift. According to the Barnett Group, rates of church attendance, religious affiliation, and belief in God specifically, prayer and Bible reading have been dropping for decades. Americans' beliefs are becoming more post-Christian and currently and concurrently, religious identity is changing. She goes on to say this, according to Jen Twenge, the secularizing of society has manifested itself in Generation Z as disconnecting completely from religion, spirituality, and the larger questions of life. In fact, the Barnard Group characterizes Generation Z as the first truly post-Christian generation with only 4% adhering to a Christian worldview. She goes on to say, here's one more. As a result, scriptural authority has come under fire and fewer teenagers are trusting what the Bible has to say about contemporary issues. Sean McDonald and Jay Wagner, Warner Wallace, both prolific apologists, observe that young people today have grown up in a culture that places the individual as the highest authority and individual feelings often trump facts. Moral relativism has been noted as one of the defining trademarks of Generation Z as they move away from traditional values that fail to account for their everyday experiences. Thus, in, it is the general consensus that sincere belief equals 
absolute truth. Here's what I'm perplexed. Here's where I am looking at. Here we are faced with all kinds of stuff that's going on in our culture today. And what I truly sense and see, and the reason to go through the book of Exodus is a truly sense that we need to come back to who God is. Certainly we could go in to a message series on marriage and parenting and, and living for Jesus and maybe even going through a letter. But here as, as, as your teaching pastor, or one of the pastors here at the church, my job, of course, is being the teaching pastor here and leading in that way, is I truly sense that we need to jump into the Old Testament and see the God of the Old Testament, how he is the same then and he is the same today. How we can see that this God who came after them is the same God that is coming after us. And the same God that is pursuing them and providing for them and revealing himself to us is the same God that's doing that today. And so as we jump back and we look back, what is needed? A great theology of God. A study of who he is. And I think by going through the book of Exodus, we're going to uncover some unbelievable attributes of God. We're going to be able to see his character, see who he is, see what he wants to do. And specifically, specifically, I believe that he has a message for every single one of us over the next 40 chapters that we will be in. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to study, of course, the book of Exodus. And here's what what. We're, what, what is the purpose? The purpose is, number one, capturing an awe of God that perhaps maybe we've lost and we need to be reminded of. I, I, I'm praying that your worship of God would be greater and better by going through the book of Exodus. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I really want to teach every book of the Bible as long as the Lord lets me to be here. I, I just want to. Uh, every single book of the Bible. I will tell you, I'm scared to death of Revelation. Okay? I, I, that's, that's a lot to go through. One day we'll get there. But I want to go through books of the Bible. What we're going to do is we're going to go all the way up, um, all the way up to the summertime, which will get us right to the Ten Commandments. And during the summer, we will go through ten, the Ten Commandments. It'll call it be the series within a series. And we'll do the Ten Commandments all summer long, one commandment for, for the ten weeks that will be there. So we'll break it down nice and slow. So we're going to go from now all the way until the chapter 20 up until the summer. And then we'll cover the rest after the summer. We'll go 21 all the way to 40 after that. And sometime, the Lord willing, maybe we'll be finished in October or December or whenever. So the narrative, you can group different pieces together. So next week, I'll be doing Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Put those together. But here's the, the, the one statement that I want you to see is what God is trying to do in the book of Exodus as he is calling the Israelites out, as he is leading them out of bondage. Here's what, uh, what I want you to see. What we want to see through the study of the book of Exodus is we want to see how God draws us out of our sin and to draw us into a relationship with him. So God draws us out in order to draw us in. You'll hear us say that a lot. He draws us out in order to draw us in, draws us out of our sin and draws us into a relationship with him. And that's really what he's trying to do. What I thought we would do uh, today is we would just make sure that we're all on the same page. 
And then I would give you a summary of the book of Exodus. We'll go back to what I believe is the key verse of the book of Exodus. And we'll just talk about that one verse and really summarize it in three prayers that I have for us through the study. So we're going to go through and we're going to take a look. The book of Exodus really is the second book of the Bible and it's part of the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, we call that the Pentateuch. It was the Jewish law. That was what they were to live by. They memorized it. They followed it. And we know that what happened, you can't really get into Gen to Exodus until you go back to Genesis. We know that in Genesis chapter 12, God came before a guy by the name of Abram. He then changed his name to Abraham, but he looked at Abram and he said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And I will make your na name great among many nations. That's what he said to Abraham. And Abraham gathered his family, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 says, and he went not knowing where he was going. He had complete trust in God. God, you lead my family. And so God made a covenant promise to Abraham and his family that he would use them to communicate to people about who he is. That's the way that God chose to orchestrate that. We do know that there's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and who's next? You're right, Joseph, okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we have Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery, and then he's out there in, in, in Egypt, and he gets great prominence, and he's there for 80 years. And he had an agreement with Pharaoh that everything would be okay, and, and Joseph grew, and there were some problems with Potiphar's wife, and then he went to jail, he comes back out, and so here's what takes place. Exodus picks up with Joseph and all of his brothers, and they're dead. There is a promise by the God of the universe given to Abraham 400 years when we get to the book of Exodus. That promise was made 400 years ago. And then we pick up the story. 400 years after the promise was made to Abraham, Exodus begins and we start seeing how God is orchestrating his promise because he's a God who keeps his promises. And, and so what really takes, year, takes place? Well, basically, Pharaoh comes and takes a look and says, I don't really like these Israelites. They're gaining in power. They're growing. They're going to overtake me. And so this is a new Pharaoh, not a relationship with Joseph. And so the new Pharaoh says, you know what? I want you to take them out. I want you to kill all of the firstborn. I want you to kill all of the boys. I want you to take them out. Well, God in his sovereignty raised up a Levite couple. They had a son. They took their son and they, they hid him. And then they couldn't hide him any longer, so they trusted God and put him in a basket and put him down this river. And let me just make sure you understand something. I went to China on a missionary trip, and I saw with my very own eyes bikes with a basket and little children placed in the basket. I got to tell you something. That scared me to death. I can't imagine taking your child, trusting God, putting it in the basket, and letting God trusting in God's sovereignty. That's what, that's what Moses' parents did. Well, you know the story. The baby comes following down. Pharaoh's, um, Pharaoh's daughter sees, sees Moses. Moses, uh, she draws him out of the water and names him Moses, takes him as his own. And then, then here's what we see. We, we see that Moses grows up and he realizes how his people are being treated. He sees how the Israelites are being treated. And, and, and he goes in and he has a fight and he kills one of the Egyptians. 
And then he flees to the wilderness. But then the God of the universe comes to him in the form of a what? A burning bush. So a bush that's on fire but not consumed, the text says. The bush is on fire, not consumed. Talks to Moses. Tells Moses about what his pl God's plan is for his life. Moses is overwhelmed with that. Moses says, I can't talk, and he gives him Aaron. And so he gives Aaron, and they go back to Pharaoh, and they say, let my people, oh, there you go. You're going to sing that song, right? Let my people go. Goes back to him and says, I want you to let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't listen to that. All of a sudden, there are plagues that are coming. Plagues trying to get the attention. Then later, after the 10th plague, where we have the Passover, Pharaoh then relinquishes and says, you can go back into the, you can leave. You can leave out of this Egypt. You can go. Well, shortly after they, they leave, what happens is God, God, uh, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends the army after them, goes after them to get them and pursue them. All of a sudden, they come up. They're chasing him. You've got, the Israelite, you've got the Egyptian army pressing on them. You've got the Red Sea that's in front of them. They can't go anywhere but God. But God. And I don't know what the Red Sea is in front of you right now. And I don't know what the army is behind you right now. But I do know that there's a God in heaven who can step in and part your Red Sea. And that's what he did. God parted the Red Sea. Israelites crossed. Egyptians followed. They were taken out. God spared them. Well, unlike you and me, we see God do things and we're all good. That's called the dramatic pause because they weren't good. They saw God do something, but then they get out there and they're questioning and they're like, we want to go back. We want to go eat. And so God provides for them manna from heaven and he provides water from a rock. And, and they come, so they get food and they part water, that parts the water. He gives them water, gives them food. And then God leads them up to where? He leads them up to Mount Sinai where he's going to go and give them the Ten Commandments. And while they're up there, Moses stays up there with God, trying to understand worship and order. Moses comes down, and they are bowing down to a golden statue. Moses is distraught, breaks the tablets, takes the golden statue and destroys it. They repent. And then the last several chapters of the book is talking about how God is going to dwell with them in the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant, which we'll spend quite a few weeks in doing that. And so here is the story of Exodus, and that's the story of the God of the universe who is taking and keeping his promise with the people of Israel. And I want you to know that he's keeping his promise with you and with me. And what he has said to us and what he declares to us is that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's who we serve. That's who he is. They complained, he gave grace. They needed food, he gave food. He needed water, they gave water. They bowed down in idolatry. He rebuked them boldly and forgave them. Um, I would sit there and I would tell you this right now that my heart is so heavy for us as a family to recognize 
the goodness of God right now. My heart is so heavy for us not to have a shallow view of God. My heart is so heavy that we would not allow the culture to define who he is, but we would allow the scriptures to speak clearly through the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that this God that was then is the same God that we serve today. And that the bigness of God would not be abandoned by you or me. Because the opposite of that is placing ourselves in that place, and that's dangerous. We've talked about that last week. Do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? And here's what we see. We see a beautiful resume of the God of creation who spoke the world into existence and it came into existence. I, I would direct your attention to one verse. I want you to look at one verse for us. As we, really I would say that if the, the summary of the book of, of Exodus can be summarized by this verse right here. And again, if you're going to get ready for next week, I, I would really encourage you this week to spend time in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2. So Exodus 1 and Exodus 2 will get you ready for next week when we cover both of those chapters. Um, and so I'm going to read to you Exodus 29 verse 46. I'd love for you to memorize this. I'd love for you to write it down and keep it in your car, put it on the mirror of your bathroom or whatever the case might be. I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to keep this verse. I want you to hold on to it. I just feel like that it's a good summary of what God is trying to get us to hear. Okay, so here, here, here's what Exodus 29, 46 says. And they shall know. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. So if you were to ask me the question, what is your prayer for this study? What do you hope this study will accomplish? What do you hope this journey of, of, of this Exodus story, what do you hope it'll accomplish? Here's three things. Number one, my prayer is that you would know God better than you do right now. It's very clear that God speaks to us in several different ways, but most prominently that God speaks to us through his word. He is the author of it. He is the central figure of it. He is the hero of it. And it, in order for us to know him deeper and not have shallow roots, it's important for us to go to his word to figure out who he is. And so my prayer, more than anything else, is that you will know God better through this study than you do right now. That your heart would be open, that you'd come prepared, that you would be ready and read up on what we're going to teach. Let's say after every message, we'll tell you what to read for the next, um, the next message. And so I, I would pray that we allow the text to define God and not the culture to define God. Allow the text to define who he is and not our culture. You know, you, I, I read those quotes and it's talking about, you know, Generation Z and even the, the generations before him. It's a trickling down effect in terms of this post-Christian 
culture that we find ourselves in. And I don't care whether you are part of Generation Z or we're part of the church. We all need to be aware of what's going on so that we can do our part to reach them. We can do our part to talk about who he is, to brag on him, to boast on him. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, Ryan talked about sharing our faith. What do we want to do? We want to, we want to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the last part is, and leave the results to God. God, it is you that takes care of them. It's you that convinces them. And what I'm hoping is that through the power of the Spirit, as we look through and who God is, this theology of God through the book of Exodus, that we'll see his character, we'll know him, and we'll know him better today, better through the study than we do right now. The second thing, second thing I want you to know, and this is another one of my prayers for you, for us, is that you would know that God can bring you out of your Egypt. I'm absolutely convinced that God can bring you out of your Egypt no matter what it is. His name is God. It is that way for a purpose. The God of creation can bring us through and out of our Egypt. Here is the situation. The Israelites were in Egypt. They were enslaved. They were stuck. They were in their sin. They were being oppressed. Here it is. They are enslaved. They are oppressed. Pharaoh is coming down hard on them. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you sit there and you watch, well, what, what is God going to do? Well, God raises up Moses, and what does he do? He takes them out of their Egypt. Egypt is involved in being enslaved. Amen. Uh, I think. <laughs> or no runaway. Everybody okay? All right. You're not... If you're listening online, there's, there's a big wind gust right now. So here's what we know. Here's what we know, and I want you to be so convinced of this, is that I'm not really sure what your Egypt is right now. Maybe your Egypt is an addiction that is overwhelming you. Maybe there is an addiction in your life where you just cannot seem to find victory in. And I'm telling you right now, the God of, of, the, God of the Bible is able to free you and get you out of that addiction, whether it's a lack of trust Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe that's your Egypt. Maybe your Egypt is unforgiveness towards someone that you're just eat up with. Maybe your Egypt is your pride. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Because like I said last week, I like his resume than mine. Whatever your Egypt is, God is able to free you from that Egypt. Whatever it is. And here's the third thing. You would know that he desires to dwell with you. You would know that he desires to dwell with you. If you look at verse 26, 29, it says, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. That you would know that he desires to dwell with you. God looked at Moses and said, and when, when Moses asked the question, who should I say that sent me? And God says, you just tell him I am that I am. And I want to let you know the full picture of the story, that Moses is a foreshadow of King Jesus. Because in John 
in the whole book of John, there are seven statements called the I am statements. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. And he's attaching himself to declare to them that I am God. And there is no other than me. And so what we see in here is that Moses, Moses is getting us ready to see King Jesus because King Jesus is a better Moses. We can sit back and we can see all of that right now together. And so he's, Moses is the mediator. And I would say, and you would, you would say that Jesus is our mediator. And there are so many Christ connections. I'm praying that you and I will be able to see through this study. Here's, here's what I would say. Exodus and Moses help us to see the grand plan of God by sending Jesus. Whatever your Egypt is, God is able to free you of it. And listen to me. You may not believe that right now, but I'm telling you right now, I believe it. And I'm praying for that on your behalf. Whatever your Egypt is, God is able to free us from it. So Northwest, let's do something. Let's commit to really diving deep through the power of the Spirit to understand who God is, that God would create in us deep roots because here's what he's trying to do through the book of Exodus. He's trying to draw us out of our sin and draw us into himself. We know that that is only possible through Jesus. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that we can talk about you and live for you. I thank you for our text today, and I thank you for the opportunity to pray to you. I thank you for this journey that we're going on. Exodus means exit, and they're coming out, and they're being freed from their sin, and, and, and the only way that that's possible is through you, God. You made yourself known through Jesus. Help us never to forget that. So I love you. I thank you for your goodness. Help us to sing to you right now and glorify you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.